Well, the summer that I turned 12 was the summer that I decided to uh, make some fried chicken for my family while my mom was out for dinner with a friend, and I forgot to turn the burner off, caught the entire kitchen on fire. I still remember my brothers screaming to call 911 as my, sisters, my sister and I tried to douse the flames that were by then shooting out the window. That was also the summer of the Big Thompson Flood near Estes Park, Colorado, which is just up the road from my house. It was a flood that killed 25 people, most of whom were college-age mission students on a, on a mission trip up there in the canyon. And, and for the summer, they had lived right across the street from me at Colorado State University in the dorms. It was also the summer that my sister saw The Exorcist. Some of you might remember that movie. That was uh, a movie that I was not allowed to see because it was rated R and I was too young, but that didn't stop my sister and her friends from seeing it and giving me all the gory details in great descriptions that left me completely freaked out. And the summer I turned 12 was also the summer that my parents divorced. Now I can't tell you for sure which one of these was most traumatic to me in my young life, but what I can tell you is that this was also the summer that I became afraid of the dark and of being alone at night. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> it wasn't long after all of these events transpired that I began crawling into bed, frankly, with anybody in my house who would have me. I crawled into bed with my mom, with my sister, I slept on the floor next to my little brother's bunk beds, anywhere that I could just to get some company and some comfort. One by one, they would just tell me to go back to my own bed and I would move to the next bedroom. And it was one morning when my mom found me curled up outside her bedroom door in the hallway with a blanket and a pillow that she decided I might need somebody to talk to. Children are so vulnerable, aren't they? I mean, we all have stories to tell, I know. Jesus gives us an important message this morning through the lens of children. He does it using the innocence and that vulnerability of children as exemplars of faith. And while it can seem a little out of place, almost jarring in this morning's scripture reading about divorce, I hope that this morning we'll all come to understand a little bit more about why this placement of these two stories together is strategic. And I hope it helps us understand God's loving presence just a little bit more. To begin with, it's important to know that in Jesus' day, children were the lowliest in society. Women were low, but children were even lower. They weren't even considered to be persons in their own right. They had no standing in society, no power, and this is exactly the kind of person that Jesus wants to get to know, isn't it? This is who we see Jesus interacting with over and over again in Scripture. Over and over, Jesus insists that the kingdom of God is for the lowly, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs, we heard in Mark's 
reading this morning in verse 14. So when people began bringing their children to Jesus, asking him to touch them, to bless them, he was shocked that the disciples tried to turn them away. In fact, Mark writes that Jesus was indignant. He said, no, stop that. Let them come to me. See, Jesus' concern is always for those who have been pushed away from God, pushed out to the margins. There are so many examples in Scripture where someone wants to exclude and Jesus includes. Here are just a few examples this morning. Some of these might be very familiar to me, to you, some might not. But I'll start with this. In the Gospel of John, we hear about the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who brought a woman to Jesus who they say they had caught in the very act of adultery, which is always surprising to me. That really gets my brain wondering, how in the world did they do that in the very act? Yet they only bring the woman to Jesus. But they do, they bring the woman to Jesus and they bring her over and they say, Jesus, the law of Moses says that we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus famously responds by saying, if you're without sin, go ahead. Start throwing the stones. But do they? No, not one of them. One by one, they drop their stones and they slink away. I've heard it said a number of times that this passage, which is called the woman caught in adultery, should actually be called the men caught in hypocrisy. But that's a different, that's a different sermon. We'll get into that another time. So Jesus says to the woman, what's happened? Where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, no, no one. Here's the best part. Jesus looks at her and he says, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I have one word for that. Grace. Pure grace. It makes me want to cry every time I hear it. Neither do I condemn you. How different from what the Pharisees wanted to do. How different from what we Christians sometimes want to do. I know Christians who want to read the Bible with an eye on how to catch somebody in the very act of something. But not only does Jesus not condemn he also implores the religious leaders to just examine their own conscience. He says, judge with right judgment. He says, you judge by appearances. And get this, you guys, he says, I do not judge. Now, there's one caveat. He goes on a little bit later, and he says, even if I do judge, my judgment is valid because it comes from God. By the way, whenever Jesus has something to say about the law, a moral or ethical teaching in scripture, it was never to condemn the likes of ordinary people going through challenging times. Never. 
It was always to call out structures and systems that promoted hatred and oppression and self-righteousness and greed. After they caught this woman in adultery, the men wanted to push her out to the margin. They wanted to say, you don't belong, you disobeyed, you broke the laws, you can no longer be part of God's people. She had broken the law and that was that. But Jesus insists that they examine their own conscience first. So I wonder, do we too sometimes need to examine our conscience before we start casting stones? Another time, Jesus encountered a woman at a well. This woman had five husbands. And scripture tells us that she went to the well at a time of day where she knew no one would be there. She was an outcast. She didn't want to be judged. She didn't want to be bothered, nor did she want to be a bother. And I'll bet some of you in your life have felt the same way. But again, Jesus acknowledges her situation with honesty. He's very direct with her about the fact that she's had five husbands. And yet at the same time, there is no shame. There is no embarrassment. And the most remarkable part about the story is that he reveals himself to her as the Messiah. He hadn't told anyone that yet. She's the first person who gets to hear from Jesus' lips who he is. Why would he do that? Why would he reveal himself to her, an outcast? Why? <laughs> because Jesus' concern is always for those who have been pushed aside. If anyone needs to know who the Messiah is, for goodness sakes, it's someone who feels alone in this world. Another time, a Pharisee invited Jesus over to dinner, and a woman there begins anointing him with oil and weeping at his feet. And the host, this Pharisee, is horrified because she is a known sinner. Again, the irony, because aren't we all? But again, Jesus says, let her be. I want her near me. And then there are the stories about Zacchaeus and Matthew, the tax collectors, which, by the way, if you didn't know, is a profession that was pretty much despised by society because tax collectors had a tendency to be a little bit greedy and a little bit uncaring. And yet here's Jesus hanging out with them, asking them to follow him, going over to their houses for dinner, and the religious leaders start grumbling about it. And Jesus says, listen, they are sons of God also. I came to seek them all, Jesus said. On and on again it goes. There are so many examples in the Gospels where people push away those who are considered outcasts, those who color outside the lines. And over and over again, Jesus just picks up their paper and he looks at it and he says, that is a beautiful, I wonder if we too can begin to see people as works in progress. Jesus is less concerned 
about what's legal and socially acceptable and more concerned about the condition of our hearts. He says in verse 5 of today's reading that it is because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses had to write the laws to begin with. The creative love of God, that, that, that creative love that took one look at creation and said it is good, that same creative love, it's at work in every single one of us, that that goodness that God pronounced, the goodness that is God, knows that we live in an imperfect world. We need laws now, just like they needed God's laws then, in order to at least try to live in some sort of harmony with one another. But every time Jesus is pressed by the religious leaders for an interpretation of those laws, he says, you're looking at them through the lens of legalism, and I want you to look at them through the lens of love. The Sabbath, adultery, divorce, who to include, who is your neighbor. In every instance where they challenge Jesus to interpret the laws, Jesus says the answer lies not in the laws, but in your hearts. The path to a healthy society, to a more perfect world, the path to the kingdom of heaven lies right here. Jesus is concerned about the condition of our hearts. This is what today's passage about divorce is trying to get at today. It's a doozy, I know, but bear with me. The Pharisees want to know how Jesus would interpret the laws around divorce, but Jesus wants to talk about why they needed the laws to begin with. In Moses' day, and later in Jesus' day, and in some parts of the world today, if a man divorced his wife with no certificate, it says, she was destitute. She might well be living on the streets with no money. And the religious leaders were split over what qualified as a good reason to file for divorce? Some said it was strictly in the case of infidelity. The wife's infidelity, that is. The man's didn't make any difference. Some said that maybe it was just okay, you know, if she burned the pot roast, he could leave her. Honestly, how she prepared the meal. Some said that maybe it was because they just found somebody who was better looking. These were the interpretations of the day that were being used and misused as a grounds for divorce. And so here come the Pharisees asking Jesus, what say you, Jesus? So Jesus engages, engages with them in this discourse, but he wasn't saying, stick it out no matter what. He was not telling a woman to risk physical and emotional abuse to herself or to her children just to avoid divorce. Please hear that. Jesus was not condemning people who come to a mutual understanding that they are better off apart than they were together. 
in Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, there is first a recognition of God's perfect creation and love. Then there's a recognition of our total failure as human beings to be able to live in that perfection. And then there is a call to re-examine our own conscience and then there's this. The discussion about divorce is immediately followed by a story about children. Fascinating. And I want to get into that a little bit right now because I told you it was strategic. We've already talked about how Jesus invites hurting and left out people to come to him just as he welcomed children as an example of the lowly that are invited to be near him. But I want to frame the reality of children in the first century just a little bit more for you. See, in today's world, we hold children as beloved. We look at children right alongside adorable puppies and butterflies and pink unicorns and rainbows. We kiss their chubby little cheeks. We throw lavish birthday parties. We make sure they get an education. We make sure they have free lunch if they need it. We have important programs that we develop to protect their rights. Children are beloved. But in the first century, and way, way before that, children were chattel. They were property that you owned. And in particular, in a patriarchal society where men's rights and responsibilities were above all else, children were utterly dependent on their fathers in particular. Even into adulthood, children were subject to their authority and their protection of the fathers, which may be why there was a command for children to honor their parents. There was a radical dependence on specifically fathers in the family for things like status and inheritance and livelihood, survival. And so when Jesus says, you have to come to me as a child, he is saying, be radically dependent on me. Look to me for your status, your inheritance, your guidance. Depend on me to be your authority and your protector. So Jesus, yes, he was indignant when the disciples tried to stop the children from coming to him because God doesn't turn anyone away. No one, not one single solitary person. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have done in life, how you were born. The grace that was offered to the woman caught in adultery and brought her forgiveness and the same grace that brings me to tears is what we are given when we draw near to Jesus. You are welcomed as a mother welcomes her child. And I have proof of that. We heard it this morning in Mark chapter 10, immediately after Jesus chastises the disciples for trying to prevent the children from coming to him, we're told in verse 16 that Jesus took them up 
in his arms, laid hands on them, and blessed them. Oh my heavens, what an image. I wonder if there's someone in your life today who might need to hear that. If you are hurting today yourself, if you know someone who is hurting because of something you've done, something you've been through, because of who people have tried to make you out to be, because some church has told you that you don't belong, some ch somebody's told you that you have to behave a certain way, look a certain way, be a certain way, even to be a Christian, if someone has made you feel that you have to be perfect to walk through the doors to meet Jesus, if someone has told you that some sin is greater than others, or if you're not a Christian and you don't even want to be because you think Christians are too judgy and condemning, please hear this message from Jesus today. When you come to God, not to fallible, ridiculous human beings, which we all are, but to God as the authority, the protector, the bearer of hope in your life. You will be wrapped up in his arms. God will lay his hands on you and bless you. It turns out that today's scripture reading is not an admonition of divorce but a strategic invitation to grace. Divorce happens. It happened in Moses' day. It happened in Jesus' day. It happened the summer I turned 12. And it happens today. We can get hung up on how the Mosaic law interprets it, or we can turn our attention to the loving embrace of a God who loves and accepts and welcomes anyone who is hurting, no matter what the situation, and who may have been pushed aside and relegated to the margins. People who are scared, people who are going through hard things, who are burdened with problems and the suffering of the world, people who are gay, transgender, non-binary, straight, white, male, female, people of color, people who just want to curl up on the floor in the hallway and sleep because life is overwhelming. God says to each and every one of us, come to me. You can radically depend on me. Amen.